Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food. Or weight. Never ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever ever. Hello everyone, this is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And I'm really happy today to talk about a very hard subject, I think, for a lot of us who are professional dieters. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was for years. Not in a good way either. So the front of the card is the goddess is standing with her little deer who has a question mark over her face. But the goddess has circles around herself and above her head in like a thought bubble is fat grams, carbs, calories, shouldn't eat, should eat, fattening, fat burning, willpower, discipline, control. So these are all the questions as she is just walking around in her little life and it probably especially right before she's going to eat or after she's eaten or maybe thinking about eating or did eat or <laughs> whatever because a lot of us, we've been inundated with that for so long. We forget that we have a body. In the back of the card, it reads, diet thoughts are the kind of thoughts we're having when we think we should only eat certain kinds or quantities of foods. Counting calories or fat grams or other eating rules that are restrictive and based on losing weight. These thoughts are learned from our diet culture. Dieting is an obsession that allows us to focus on something very tangible and concrete, giving us the feeling that we are in control. When we understand that diet thoughts can sometimes be a response to underlying feelings, we can begin to use diet thoughts as a red flag to explore these feelings. And I want to say that for me, that when I finally started to go into recovery from my over and under eating, but more importantly, recovery from loathing the body that I had, no matter what shape or size it was, no matter what age it was, I did not like it. I was taught not to like it. And I always needed to be improving on something. And that to me was the diet culture, because that's the culture that I grew up in, that everything can be corrected if you just are thin. <laughs> and did not take into consideration that I have a body that came from my DNA and that I look like certain people in my family. And I have to be, I'm tall and thin naturally, but I have a tummy and I have to be very ill not to have that tummy. And the tummy that I'm trying to have is, not, is an image that is not real for me or for a lot of women, quite frankly. A lot of us have, well, we have breasts and we have hips and we have a butt and we have thighs and we have a tummy and, and we're trying to look like a teenage boy. 
this is how I grew up in the prejudice of the culture of that I needed to look like a certain way and that was just unattainable. I could get it, but I couldn't keep it unless I was starving to death. So I am so happy to be talking to Katie today about this issue. I have known her off and on for a long time because we share a really good friend who's great with dogs, <laughs> who I call Joe the Dog Man. But she writes this great article and I read it every week in our little neighborhood paper called The Sun. And she wrote one a few, I don't know, weeks ago. And I want to just say this one paragraph just stood out to me. And I have quoted her many times to a lot of my clients. She says, I am so over the never ending prejudices in our culture. I'm sick of the centuries of constant condemnation by entitled people that chastise anything that's different than them. That popped out at me and I was like, oh, that is it exactly. I am so over this. (laughs) And the name of my book that I wrote with my partner, Carol Normandy, my business partner and co-author, is called It's Not About Food. And we brought that book out. It was great and everybody loved it, but we also worked with teenagers. And the teens said to us, where's our book? This is a book for adults. You know, it doesn't talk about the struggles that we're having all the time as a teenager in the culture that we live. So we right away wrote another book and we named it Over It because that's what they said. I am so over this pressure. (laughs) And what a beautiful thing. It's 15 or 16 or 17 to be over it, where I didn't get over it until 30s. I finally got sick of it by that time. And it wasn't my fault that I thought the way that I thought. That was like a revelation to me. So I want to introduce Katie, who is obviously a fantastic author and a therapist and really... Just all around great gal. (laughs) Thank you, Laura Lee. And you've mentioned the book. My book is called The Power of Being Heard. And it's Katie Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. It's on Audible so far, but it touches on something you've already brought up. There are many chapters in the book about having a voice, you know, and liking ourselves and ridding ourselves of shame and self-loathing. But I think that on in line with what you were just saying, thanks for calling me about that article. I noticed in the article, I also quote Linda Bacon, who is such an interesting person on the study of eating and body. And she said, fat is not the problem. Dieting is the problem. A society that rejects anyone whose body shape or size doesn't match an impossible ideal is the problem. A medical establishment that equates thin with health is the problem. The solution, health at every size. Yes. And I would add, you know, throw a donut in there too and have a bag of potato chips. (laughs) I am really done. I just am so wanting women to feel big in every way. I mean, we need to have our voices. We need to feel like big is good. 
And it's time for us to be loud and bold and to step up now with, you know, the politics are really off the charts here with guns and abortion threats. And it's just too much. So this, yeah, I'm over it. I like your title. (laughs) I feel, well, the girls, our teenagers are the ones who named it and they were so right on. That's exactly what we all want to do is just get over this craziness. And here it is again. So who saw this coming? I didn't see it coming. Who saw the pandemic coming? I didn't see that coming. I didn't see a lot of this stuff coming. But here it is. And you're right. We have to scream louder, get in the streets louder, vote louder, you know, whatever we need to do to not have all of our rights stripped away. It's ridiculous that we're having to have even this discussion right now. I have predicted this. I know we're going to be talking mostly about body and food image and shame and all of the things that we women that we allow to disempower us, you know, but the society is not helpful. This constant twiggy thing, it's ridiculous. It's so not what real women are built like. But I just want to say, I saw this 30 years coming. The death of the patriarchy, the death of the dark side of the masculine principle, and the emergence of the feminine is what we're going into. And that is going to mean the image I get is a beetle on its back with its legs up, trying to get turned back around again. And it's up to us, really up to women in particular, to step up now. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the things that causes me personally so much pain is when I saw these women wanting this ban for the right to have a choice about your own body. I kind of expect men to feel like this because they're being knocked off of their thrown and have been as we've chipped away at stuff. But I don't understand the women who think that less rights is better. Well, I believe that those women are influenced also by so many years of conditioning, you know, about I don't know where I put that quote this morning. I loved it. It was about it's time for us to stop believing that the bully is power. But we've all been watching these movies with John Wayne and the big top gun and the big penis in the sky and everything. And now we bought into it, Um, you know, and it's no wonder that they want small women because they're afraid they're not equipped to deal with large women. And so they want very tiny masculine men, narcissistic men need tiny women to make them feel big. Yeah. But, you know, if you really look at married couples, you start watching people on the street. Real people are not built perfectly. No, of course not. How can they be unless they've had some work done? (laughs) (laughs) And even then, sometimes they look not quite right. Sometimes their eyes are weird, you know, or their lips are spread too far or something, whatever. But I feel like it's our duty. It's my duty to show my natural body with my tummy and to show my wrinkles at my age and to, you know, to be that kind of person who says, look, we age, look, we have no control over (laughs) what's going to happen. You know, we just don't. 
And we keep trying to, yeah. God love us. And we just I do. Know. I, you know, I'm excited today because I, I just have a small amount of time to share with your listeners what has helped me so much in my tremendous challenge with having had been obese and having worked through that and all of the things that set me free. But I do want to say also that before we move on, perhaps to that, that I've got another thing. One of the people that helped me very much that I recommend to your listeners is Janine Roth. And she's so fabulous. And in this messy, magnificent life, she says, might this be another way the patriarchy controls women's bodies? By hypnotizing us into believing we must be thin in order to have value or authority, if I wanted to silence half the population of the world, I can't think of a better way to do it. You know, expecting a woman to stand up for what she knows while convincing her that she must first be thin is like binding a Chinese woman's feet and asking her to run a marathon. That's right. Anyway, I or, wanted to get that in. Yeah, or even just walk down the street. They had to have help. They had to have men help them walk around. They couldn't walk around on those tiny folded over feet. I'm going to not quote it perfectly, I know, but from Naomi Wolf, who says, if we weren't starving in the kitchen, we would be marching in the street. Mm. <laughs> Oh, my God, that takes the cake. It takes the cake. It's keep them quiet. You know, stop yelling about this. As a marcher since the Vietnam War, I have been yelling in the streets. And a lot of times felt like I was happy to be there because I was around people who also felt that it was necessary to yell in the streets and being around my peeps or my peers. But... I also would a lot of times feel like I was yelling into a void, a black void, that the people that needed to hear it would discount it and not hear it. Yes. I am so glad we're on this piece because I wanted to talk about the power of having a voice and how it fits in, how asking for what you want is so key to the eating issue. And of course, just because you've been interviewing people forever, but you know, bottom line, I started my endeavor with hairballs. My cat was on top of my computer and I was journaling because I knew why am I eating all this food? I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm eating, eating, eating. And I realized something's going on. So I started writing about it. And then I saw that my cat was calm and I thought, okay, I'm going to have a hairball out. <laughs> and this is what I, this is how my writing started. And so I call it emotional hairballs. But along the way, one of the things I found was asking for what I needed and wanted and even identifying what I needed or wanted was really challenging. And in relationships, it's very, very difficult to ask for what you want. I mean, it sounds simple. We all talk about it all the time. We know those of us that are into psychobabble, we know you have to ask for what you need and want. But then when you try to do it, what I tell people is asking for what I want is like standing naked in front of the entire town with cellulite. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel. Yeah. That, that, was the, that was the image that came to me that I was asking some people different things. And I think this is really key to what we need to be doing now. It's not just marching the streets. It's 
we all have to start joining, collaborating. We have to get along. And that means we have to be honest with each other. And we have to learn how to communicate so we don't blow each other away. It's and so that's true. not a small endeavor, uh, Laura Lee, for women to do with each other. I think women do have their claws out. I don't think women are, we are, we espouse to be the more reasonable of the two genders, but we have a problem also communicating. Yeah, of course we do. Look how we've been taught from a very young age. Nobody wanted to hear whatever you had to say, Laura Lee. Be quiet. Nobody likes you when you're not sweet. I can remember my mother saying, you're here to serve. That's what you're here for. And the sooner you get that through your head, the better off it'll be for you. You know, and I do really feel like that. I feel like they came out in the operating room. Can I get anybody anything? <laughs> you know, anybody need a cup of tea? You know, I just have a hard time just like just being okay with being. That's so funny. You're very funny. You popped right out of the womb asking if you could help other people. <laughs> Can I clean up around here a little bit? Yeah. I just felt like that was my thing that I had needed to do. Anyway, and another thing that you said, and first of all, the name of your column is What's Up With That? Perfect. Great name. Great name. And that, you know, you're talking about a client that you were sitting with and she was beautiful and wonderful and smart and charming, but self-loathing poured from her mouth during the therapy. And I think, again, it's so heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking when I realized I had that self-loathing. And then when I have been sitting with young women Older women who have lived a whole life and are, have done beautiful things. Young women who have their whole life ahead of them and are just wonderful people. And they will tell me, yeah, you don't know. You have no idea how awful I am. And I'm not seeing it. Sorry. I don't care what you've done. I think you're great. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because it was an astounding, of course, I've been a psychotherapist for almost 40 years, but I'll never forget working with her. She was one of these young women who would walk into the office and she was breathtakingly beautiful and very wealthy in this particular case. And we worked and worked and worked and worked and there was just absolutely no way to get her to her self-loathing was so endogenous, so deep uh, and penetrating a lot from a father figure. But of course, in this case, the mother too. And um, anyway, so it's a tough thing, but I want to give people lots and lots of hope because for me, when I started, I was so despairing and I had done Overeaters Anonymous and I had been to India on meditating and I had done all kinds of sex workshops. I was on diets and fasts and doing exercise. I tried everything. And it really started to be a breakthrough for me when Janine Roth helped me when I realized I could actually start to identify what I wanted. And it also helped me when I realized that at any size, I could have enough esteem to buy clothing I liked and love myself and, you know, drop the shoulds about what I should eat, not eat. But there were a few moments of breakthrough I want to mention. One was when I realized 
I didn't want to look like Twiggy. I was pissed off for a long time because I was eating out of rebellion. Nobody can tell me how. I don't care what the culture tells me. And then I realized this is not very kind to my body. (laughs) And then I realized, what do I really want? And it was a powerful phenomenon to work through that because I looked at other women and I thought, I think beautiful women are large and goddess-like and renaissance-like. And I went through a long period where I thought I wanted to be very, very large because I find that the most attractive, actually. And then I went through a period where I realized what I really wanted deep down was to wear a pair of jeans and sit in a movie theater. And I wanted to fit into the chair there. Yeah, of course. And that helped a lot because I realized, oh, okay, now I know what I'm shooting for. And then I started to realize what I really wanted. And the other thing was what I call the, there was this transformative 60 seconds in my life. When I stood at the refrigerator, I opened the door I was ready to launch into my eating and I decided to have a conversation with my inner child. Wow. And it's a hard story, even though it just takes 60 seconds to tell. But every time I tell it, I cry. It's just, it's terribly painful. I was shocked in that moment because I said, okay, I really want to eat. Tell me what you want. And she said, you know, I was doing improv theater by myself And she said, damn it, I want the pizzas. Get me the pizzas, because that's what we had always done. Right. And I said, I thought, okay, this time I'm going to be a good mother to her. And I said, you know, honey, if you want the pizzas tonight, we're going to do that. And if are you sure that's what you want? And then there was another moment, and I waited. And she said, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. So then I said, okay, are you sure that's what you want? Because that's what I'm going to get. And she said, no, I I don't want, I don't want that anymore. Oh, I want, I said, well, what do you want? She said, I just want, I want my teddy bear. I want hot milk. I want my flannel pajamas. (laughs) I want a hot bath. And I want some crackers and I'm shortening it took it did take more than 60 seconds. But I say that to motivate people. And um, anyway, uh, that was the end, basically, of my main eating days. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Love when we can pinpoint that moment when everything changes. And we're going along a path that we hate and makes us crazy and uncomfortable and sad and we don't know what else to do and something gets through like in AA they call that the moment of clarity that you go I can't do this anymore 10 minutes ago I could but now I can't and I don't know what the hell to do now (laughs) 
And then what a wonderful gift that you had an inner child to go to who felt safe enough because a lot of times they don't. These inner parts of us, this really deep little soft spot, they don't feel safe for quite a while. But they did. Well, that's a very important piece to this because the inner terrorist, you know, the <laughs> the the person, the you know, that terrible <laughs> critic, I believe, is partly why we have so much outer terrorism now. Is because my women's group calls it the bun lady, you know, because she's <laughs> got this tight bun and she looks like a witch, and she goes, "You can't have that, and you look fat when you do it, and you're." just too much you're too flat you're too fat you're too this you're too tall you're too you're loud. too too yeah too too yeah and i when you give people with their permission and when i got the permission to talk back to that part in a kind and gentle respectful voice not just forget you you cannot do that you can't do it you have to follow these rules and if you don't you're not going to be okay you're going to die. And there's a thing in today, I think, there's nothing wrong with healthy eating. Healthy eating is how our bodies want to eat, you know, whatever that means at the moment that we're in. But I know that my body likes things much more simple than my head likes them. And at my age, I eat differently than I did 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And that's, if I'm going to love my body unconditionally, I'm going to give it what it wants, like a hot bath. It wants a hot bath. It doesn't want a cold shower. You know, it wants crackers. It doesn't want a whole pizza. And I have to listen to that and be okay with it. But to me, to get to that point is a huge leap of faith that that bodily voice is going to be there without shame or blame or criticism like that inner terrorist it's going to say really simply soup please (laughs) yeah you know that's right and something else on that i think that janine roth was is so good on i think her best book is probably when when food is love of course but it's also she gave me permission to have the potato chips and to have the chocolate and you're right now i have more connection to what I really love and I really want to eat. So I happen to love things like vegetables, although I like hollandaise sauce on them. But I, you know, (laughs) the point being, being, you know, if you can't eat the donuts and you can't have the French fries, you never get through that. And you always feel like I got to have it, but I can't have it. Instead of, yes, you can, you can absolutely have it. And just notice how this is it satisfying. It's like dating an abusive man. I mean, you can do it. Just notice how it feels. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And why are you doing it? I remember I had a client that told me once, because we talk about legalizing food, legalizing your body, legalizing your feelings, legalizing your sleep and how often you drink water. Just legalize everything and then see what works. Don't just stop with legalizing everything. Be conscious of what's working and what's not working. You know, this isn't enough sleep for me. I do need more water. I don't need as much water, whatever it is. They'll get to a point in group where they'll go, I am so sick of cookies. I don't want to eat anymore, but I'm afraid I'm not doing the program right if I don't eat them. And it's like, who told you to eat all the cookies? 
<laughs> if your body doesn't want them, don't eat them. It's no big deal. And you know, the other thing, Laura Lee, I want to make sure we get in here is that the thing about asking for what you want or identifying your needs, it's also the whole eating thing or any addiction or any, let's not call it that, but any attachment to anything that is uh, like lately I've been shopping for polka dots at thrift stores <laughs> compulsively. And, you know, I kind of finally had to ask myself, what's this about? Yes. <laughs> and anyway, but the point is we have a need as human beings to attach and we have need for belonging and we have need to be in relationship and food can be a substitute for our need to connect because connection is scary. And I wanted to make sure I say something about, I have this line from Janine's book. She says, we lower our expectations. We stop asking for what we need. We stop showing the places that hurt or need comfort. We stop expecting to be met. And we begin to rely on ourselves and only ourselves to provide sustenance comfort and pleasure, we begin to eat and eat. And how do we do our relationships and keep the real truth on the plate? How do we call a girlfriend and say, let's get everything out on the plate here because I feel some tension between you and myself? Yes, of course. How do we do that? Yeah. How do we do that? How do you do it? Put you on the spot while I take a breath. I mean, that's (laughs) as scary as that is. I feel like at this point, I can't not do it because I'll do something else instead that will be not good. You know, so this just happened yesterday. I had to tell somebody who I really like a lot when sort of like my little guy that I tell my clients and that I use myself, when this happened, this is how I felt and this is what I would like. And knowing that the other person is a human and has a choice could say, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't, I'm not in control of that person, unfortunately, but, uh, <laughs> you know, It is important to me, more important that I hear myself say that. This happened and I felt this way and I would like it if you could do blah, blah, blah. And if you can't, okay, but that's what I would like. So it's important for me to do that, whether or not the person ever obeys, which probably they will not obey, (laughs) you know. I think that's very beautifully put, and that's a good reminder. When this happened, this is how I felt. Because that's you owning your experience using I statements instead of you. You talked to me this way the other day, which puts any you statement, puts somebody immediately on the defensive. Of course. I know I'm full of quotes today, but I have this one other one. Now, this book is, if you haven't read it, it's extraordinary. It's called Silencing the Self by Dana Jack, J-A-C-K. It's probably, have you read it? I don't think so. You wouldn't forget it. Okay. Forget it. It's a must read. She says, when dialogue dies as it can, with either person's failure to speak, to hear, or to acknowledge the other, then part of the self also dies oh wow 
that's right. what, and that's what you're saying. Yes. And I noticed, for instance, when my mother was alive, we called it divide and conquered because she would, there was three of us, each other against the other. This was when we were little and I had a brother and a sister. Later, my mother got remarried and we got two more sisters and a brother. But at that point, it was like those three. And we always were not as good as or better than somebody. And at some point in my life, I gathered all my courage up because what it did is it made me uncomfortable around my siblings and it made me uncomfortable around her. And I didn't like how I felt about that. I didn't like that I would also join her on that, you know, negative trip down memory lane. And so I at some point said, Mom, when I talk to you, I don't want you to talk about my sister or my brother. I just want me and you to talk. What book have you read? Are you seeing a movie? What are you doing? And she said, okay, okay, I understand. But did you see what your sister was wearing the other day? <laughs> and I went, it will never work. I wasn't doing it for her. I was doing it for me. She never did it, never. But I didn't take it. I just went with what I needed to say, which was, yeah, but what are you doing right now? Or I would just get off the phone. Ding dong, the bell's ringing. I got to go, mom. (laughs) We'll try again another time. Because that's what she knew how to do. Put everyone down. Yes. I mean, I think those stories from real life are very important. You know, last night I was sitting out with a bunch of people and I was very raw from the recent Supreme Court, you know, insanity, horror, the <laughs> insanity, the horror show, the ridiculous, primitive, cruel, these rulings now to bring out more guns and to threaten women who have abortions. And I sat next to this man and he said he was looking at this lovely woman in a very tight dress, very slim. And she was very lovely. And he said something like, boy, is she hot. And I looked at him and I said, I looked for my I statement. And I said, you know, I have to own that I'm feeling very sensitive on this kind of issue right now. So I'm telling you, I'm getting you (laughs) that right up front. And I need to say that I'm offended by sitting here as a woman and you referring to another good looking woman. And how would you feel if I saw a hot man and mentioned his being well hung or slim or whatever in front of you? And fortunately, he heard me. But that was just last night. And I think we have to start catching these things in the moment and educating each other And not just them, but ourselves. I mean, I've had men write to me that column that you called me because you liked the one that I wrote on women and body. The main response was from a male who said, you know, I've had many issues with my weight. So I think it's important to say men are struggling, too. Absolutely. But we got to get our words out there and we got to use an I statement and we have to say, you know, what your intention is. The other I say there's two eyes in the face, the I for intention (laughs) and the I for I need or I feel. Yeah. 
And the mouth is for saying what you wish for. Right. And I think that's a beautiful way to put it. That was a teaching moment. And not only did you teach him something, maybe he learned or not learned, it's not really your business whether he did or not, that you taught yourself that you could speak up. And something very similar happened to me on Thursday. The vote came down. I was in a store and I have a t-shirt that says we should all be feminists that I've probably worn every day since then. And and this man looked at me and he said, oh, I like that t-shirt very much. I'd like to get one for my wife. And uh, where'd you get it? And I said, I got it online, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, there's two types of feminists. And I said, you know, I didn't know this man, but I said, today is not the day for anyone to mansplain what feminism is. So (laughs) at another time, I might be curious. (laughs) I can't hear, I cannot hear it. I cannot hear it right now. It won't be held maybe in the spirit, you're trying to tell me this information about you. So he said, I got it. I got it. I got it. You know, and thank you very much. Blah, blah, blah. We went on our separate ways, but I don't know the day before I would have been so quick to stop someone in their tracks about telling, you know, me, a woman with a feminist t-shirt on what feminism is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, I think they're great stories. And I, what I'm noticing a lot, Laura Lee, is, the, uh, is how we have been complicit yes. in, at some unconscious level in allowing t- dictatorship to start to be rearing its head to such a degree. Isn't and there's the a lot of cynicism. But what, what we need to have instead is our words, because stuffing, stuffing our feelings is the opposite of expressing what we need and want to ourselves and to each other. But the thing I tell people is my clients, they get anxious. Everybody gets anxious, including me, when there's conflict. I call it sweating, you know, in front of a a delicate dialogue. (laughs) You know, I start to sweat. And even though I teach it, I find it very difficult. And the thing to do is I tell people just to remember it's in your face. You've got two eyes and a mouth and two ears. The eyes are for intention. It's my intention You know, I love you. I appreciate our friendship, but I want to clear this up. It's my I need or I feel statement. I usually recommend it be fear or hurt because the mouth then is for wishes. The mouth is for anger and anger, I believe, should be directed in the form of asking for what you request or wish for. And it's like blowing candles off a cake. It comes from the mouth. Here's what I'd like. And that's how we can use our anger and ears are for listening. And we need to include that, too, because I'm sure I threw my friend off last night and I we have to regulate this stuff, I'm sure. But going into more vulnerability in this culture between an every climate crisis and everything that we're facing, we're going to be more and more vulnerable. We have got to regulate all of our emotions, all of our hairballs and all of our emotions and hold on to the centered part of us that has agency and that is enough. I look at it as the axis on a globe that holds the thing 
up while it's rolling around, you know, and that you can do with here's what I wish for. And here's what I'd like to see happen. And here's what I'm feeling right now. Right. It is so that is a wonderful place to stop as we're running out of time. But I wonder if you could read the just for today on the card. Today, I will practice noticing my diet thoughts. Each time I think about controlling my food in some way, I will ask myself if there are any feelings that might have triggered this thinking. I will then let myself have the feelings and ask what I need to take care of myself. And that's what you were talking about so beautifully that you've noticed your feelings, whether the feeling is... I want to eat or just want to stop this feeling or I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm going to cry or whatever it is. Notice the feeling. Well, how can I take care of this self? You know what? If it is hunger, eat for God's sakes. You know, if it, <laughs> if the feeling is I'm angry, say something and you're right. Stay with I statements so that they can hear it and they may not obey. In fact, they probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and keep doing the radical reaching out of connecting with each other. Yes. It's going to be very important that we join. We don't want to withdraw and shut down or just be angry and turn that on ourselves as well. No, it's so true, especially in these trying times that we're in. It just the hits keep coming every day, it feels like. Yeah. So we have to get that community of like-minded people and stay with that. And then we can go out to the people who don't think like us, but say our truth anyway. Yeah. And it takes some work and it takes some courage and it's essential going forward. So true. Well, bless you. And thank you so much for being here. (laughs) And I will see you in the, what do they say in AAM? As we trudge the happy road of destiny. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura Lee. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.